reaction to dubia non-answers, foreign policy creating terrorists. In this episode of Church and State, Brian McCall and Christopher Ferrara discuss Francis's modernist response to the dubia issued by five cardinals. Only a simple yes or no is required to uphold the faith. Yet Francis provides ambiguous statements, saying yes and no, affirming and denying, further eroding doctrine and subverting Christ's church. Learn more about these grave errors in the church from the latest Fatima Crusader, issue 131, which exposes the errors of the 2023 Synod. Copies are available at our online shop or call our home office. They also discuss the rise in conflict in the Middle East, the ongoing problems in Ukraine, disastrous American foreign policy, which leads to endless war and destruction, and the looming threat of nuclear war. At this point in time, it is clear that Fatima is the only answer. Roman Catholic SOS. Roman Catholic means you stay in a state of grace. We cease offending God, especially by mortal sin as he is already too much offended. Then the R stands for Rosary, pray daily, the C for Consecration, consecrate yourself to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and pray for Russia's proper consecration. S for the brown scapular, wear it faithfully. The O, offer prayer and penance for the Pope, for the Church, for many souls otherwise falling into hell. The simple but necessary penance of our daily duty and of keeping God's commandments. And the S, for the first Saturday devotion. Practice it every month, offering reparation for sins against the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Again, that's R-C-S-O-S. Roman Catholic S-O-S. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. Welcome back to Church and State with Chris Ferrara and Brian McCall. Uh, the world continues to spin while the cross stands at the center of the world. But the only fixed thing in our world is the cross. <laughs> Everything else whirls around it. Christ um, chaos, as usual. Exactly. Well, interestingly, since the last time you and I spoke, uh, we had uh, some surprising news. Uh, apparently, there were a group of cardinals who this summer submitted dubia, which are questions that are supposed to get a yes or no answer from the Vatican. They got a, I won't say an answer, they got back a document with a lot of words on it. Uh, and then they told us, they resubmitted questions saying, answer the question, uh, because what they got sure. was nonsensical. It was, you know, on one hand, on the other hand, no yes or no answer. So they resubmitted and they got an answer to that essentially from the kissing cardinal Fernandez, who's the head of the doctrinal office. I say that's a that, joke in itself. Yeah, he wrote a book on the art of kissing. Uh, great qualification for a cardinal. He basically said, ah, the Pope's not going to answer that. He's not your slave to go around answering questions for you. What's interesting about this, I'd like to get your thoughts first of all, not about the details, but I think it's interesting that Francis answered this one because, as you know, there was four other cardinals, two of whom were dead, who submitted a dubia back in 2016 on Amoris Laetitia and got nothing, got no response. But now this time, an actual, again, 
not non-response, but a response came back. So what, do you have anything you make of that? Why do you think he, Francis responded this time and not seven years ago? Well, that, that's a mystery. Uh, he could have been, remained silent, but uh, how many Cardinals submitted the doobie this time? Was it four? Five this time. Two Five. of the old, two from the first time, and then three different ones. Well, you know, I, maybe Fernandez thought that it would be a good idea to write a response so that hmm. he could provide cover for Francis because it's obvious Francis didn't write the response to the dubia. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the the responses, to the extent that I glanced at them, because I don't, really don't have time for the blather coming out of the Vatican these days, to the extent that I reviewed them, they're basically saying, we're going to do whatever we please, and we're not going to give you a direct answer because we have every intention of undermining Catholic teaching. Mm-hmm. So there'll be communion for the divorced and remarried. There'll be blessings of homosexual unions. Did one of the dubia relate to uh, lady cardinals or lady uh, deacons? Indirectly. It asked about ordination of women, which would include deacons because that's part of ordination. Yeah, well they um, intend to be subversive on all those points. Obviously that's the that's the point of the synod. I think it was Cardinal Burke who said very recently that this is all a pretense. The outcome of the synod is already known. This entire dog and pony show is just camouflage for the predetermined outcome of the synod, which will be further erosion of the church's mm-hmm. stance. Right. Which is irrevocable by its very nature because it involves the natural law on these right. moral questions. So there'll be the usual modernist technique of yes and no, affirming what they deny, denying what they affirm, and there'll be a further erosion of the church's teaching. So, And the Pope, by the way, just received in audience the infamous Sister Gremick of UA's ministry for something like 50 minutes of his time, his precious papal time. As well as, by the way, meeting Whoopi Goldberg this week. Yes, and Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg. So this, this, pope, this pope, as we well know, is openly subversive of the church. He's a threat to the integrity of the faith. I'm not the only one who said it. Some mainstream commentators said much the same thing. I think Jeff Miras put it this way, that he's a danger to the faith. Yes. Jeffrey Miras. Now, yes. someone like Miras is willing to say that, and this was several years ago. We can yeah. only imagine what he'd be prepared to say now, what many people are saying, that this pope is a menace to the church. Interesting. Well, let me give you my spin on, on that, see what you think. Here's my – because you're right, this probably was written by Fernandez, but certainly it's not against this is what the pope would have wanted. This is what Francis right. would have wanted. So here's my thought. Gerhard Müller was, for all his flaws that you know, we've talked about in the past, but was the head of the doctrine of the faith back then. And that maybe he was the reason there was no response because he realized a response like this is worse than saying nothing. That a, a garbled, ambiguous, you can interpret anything from it. And maybe he, he wouldn't write the response Francis wanted because he would have written uh, a response that clarified that, you know, traditional doctrine still holds. And now that Francis has his man in the chair, maybe that's why he was willing to respond. I don't know. What do you plausible? Well, Father Michelli had a great phrase to describe these modernist subversives. <laughs> he called them connoisseurs of ambiguity. Yes. So they employ ambiguity, and in the very act of doing so, you know what they're up to. Yes. I mean, it's an old trick. We know where they're going with this fake synod, which is just a disguise for what Francis wants. Yeah. And he said in recent days, dogmas must evolve. That's the quintessential yeah. modernist position, the evolution yeah. of dogma. 
And if you hold to that proposition, you've basically liquidated the entire Catholic religion. Hmm. So. Well, speaking of which, I think, and we'll just talk about, we'll talk about all the, the questions, but the first question that the cardinals asked is really emblematic of everything that follows. So they basically say that some of the bishops, you know, getting ready for this synod who have not been corrected, have been saying that divine revelation should be reinterpreted according to the changes of our time. And then that's a summary. There's a little longer question. So basically the question is, should divine revelation be reinterpreted so as to accord to our modern times? Let me just start reading Francis's answer. <laughs> I can imagine. Again, I haven't bothered, so let's hear it. <laughs> well, here you go. Oh, you know what? This will be this will be a YouTube reaction video. Exactly. <laughs> the The answer... Depends on the meaning. Tell me if I do a spit take. Right, okay. So here's Francis. The answer depends on the meaning you give to the word reinterpret. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then he basically goes on to say, oh, it means reinterpreting better, understanding better, and then you can change. But that's, that's not changing, that's reinterpreting. But interestingly, he actually gives some very specific, uh, examples. I think I know these. Yes, at the end of them. He basically, and it's interesting, he could have been even really more clever and gone to some Old Testament passages, which have clearly been superseded by the New Covenant, and sort of point that out, which is a false argument, but would sound a little better. But he actually goes right to New Testament ones. He, He basically says, for example, we cannot materially repeat today what St. Paul said about women in 1 Corinthians 11, 3, 10, 1, or Timothy 2, 11 to 14. Why not? And, uh, and other text of scripture that cannot be repeated today. Why not? Because he's censoring St. Paul. So yeah, he's basically saying, yeah, thanks a lot, St. Paul. Doesn't, you know, doesn't apply. Can't, you can't be quiet. Stop saying it. <laughs> well, that's, that's an important distinction you make yes. uh, between yes. the passing of the old covenant in favor of the right. new covenant, which is an action of divine will and further divine revelation, and a human attempt to revise what God has revealed or reinterpret what God has revealed. God can always change his own ordinances. As our Lord said, out of the hardness of your hearts, I permitted divorce. He permitted it, but it was never so. But with the new covenant, there's a higher standard of behavior because the age of grace has arrived, Hmm. and we're called to that higher standard precisely because it's enabled by divine grace, which this Pope, of course, has completely written out of the moral picture. For him, the constant denouncer of Pelagians, morality is indeed a Pelagian exercise. If you can't do something that is required by the natural law, according to your best human effort, no mention of grace, well, then you do what you can in your concrete circumstances. That phrase concrete appears seven, eight, nine, perhaps ten times in Amoris Laetitia. Yeah. As if anyone's life is without concrete circumstances. I haven't heard of a life that isn't concrete. Right, exactly. So when, by the introduction of the simple phrase concrete circumstances, you've introduced situation ethics. You've taken the state of grace out of the moral calculus, and you have created a Pelagian religion. And this from the man who's always denouncing traditionalists as Pelagians. Yes. We're the ones that reject his notion, his Pelagian notion of human limitations, which cannot be surpassed even with the assistance of divine grace. Uh, Absolutely. Well, and, you know, interestingly, uh, in this first duvium, he does something else Francis is really good at. 
quoting saints out of context. Oh, he's like, a master of that. So this is another master one you're going to love. So <laughs> he, he says, oh, you know, everything was scripture. Essentially, the more we get into the details, the more it's wrong. And he says, therefore, for example, I'm quoting St. Thomas Aquinas. The more one descends to matters of detail, the more frequently we encounter defects. Now, what's interesting about that is St. Thomas Aquinas is not speaking in that passage about the interpretation of Revelation, which is Francis uses the quote saying, oh, St. Thomas says that the more scripture gets detailed, the more it's defective. That comes from the first part of the second part, question 94, on the making of civil laws. Right. And he's saying that a human lawmaker, unlike God, who can see everything, can't foresee all future things, so he might not make a perfect law, whereas he actually goes on to say, whatever laws God makes is always perfect. So he literally takes something and then applies it back to God in like, oh, divine revelation. You know, the more God got into details, the more he made a mistake, which, you know. You've written written on this subject and you've made the distinction in civil law, which involves complex applications of basic moral principles to unprecedented situations, like what is theft in the digital age, for example. Right. Exactly. There's intellectual property, something that's subject to the commandment, thou shalt not steal. Yeah. That could be a difficult question, and you need the exercise of human wisdom to apply revelation. But something as basic as thou shalt not commit adultery. Right. In the negative, the negative precepts of the natural law, uh, as understood from the beginning, have very obvious applications without exception. Exactly. You can never commit adultery. Exactly. Which is a far cry from a question such as, if I take someone's copyright, have I violated the commandment against stealing? Exactly. But again, he classically, if you didn't know where this came from in the Summa, you'd think, oh, wow, Ooh, I guess Aquinas said that. He's a petty uh, fogger. Uh, exactly. Real quick, let's go on to one other, because this, again, will illustrate it. This one they asked about this practice that we know is now going on in Scandinavia and Germany of, quote, blessing people who are engaging in unnatural acts against the natural law that simulate the marriage act, so-called homosexual couple, which is doesn't really mean anything, blessings. So here's classic modernist fashion. He goes on for about two paragraphs. The church can never create confusion between marriage and something that's not marriage. The church can never pretend that there's doing a marriage was not a marriage. It all sounds pretty good, right? Oh, well, he's against this. Then he says, however, of in course. our relationships with people, We must not lose the pastoral charity, which should permeate all our decisions and attitudes. Therefore, pastoral prudence must adequately discern whether there are forms of blessing requested by one or more persons that do not convey a mistaken concept of marriage. For when a blessing is requested, it is expressing a plea to God for help, a supplication to live better a trust in a father who can help us live better. Nonsense. (laughs) That so-called homosexual couple that seeks a blessing seeks validation of sodomy. It's that simple. And so that relationship can never be validated because it's intrinsically evil. Yes. Even the catechism under this destroyer pope continues to maintain that homosexual acts are acts of grave depravity, to quote the catechism. And that the condition itself, the inclination toward these acts of grave depravity, is an intrinsic disorder of the human person. You cannot bless an intrinsic disorder. You cannot bless a relationship based upon acts of grave depravity. 
So what is it exactly that would be blessed in the case of a homosexual so-called couple, if not their acts of grave depravity, which would validate those acts? That's what they're looking for. That's why they want the blessing. He knows it. Fernandez knows it. The fake synod participants who are controlling the whole sham operation, they all know it. And this is all about further subversion of the church. So then the question becomes, what do we do when the Pope appears to approve blessings of relationships based upon sodomy? What do we do about that? Well, but again, he does exactly what Pius X warned us about, that the, as you said, the modernist never exactly lets himself pin down. So he doesn't say do it. He just says, oh, we can examine, we can discern what kind of blessing we can give. And then he says, this is not a matter the church can decide for everybody. Every region, church, everybody, everybody's got to decide for themselves what kind of blessing they can give. So again, he's basically saying, go, you can do it. But not saying it in a way where he's sort of mandating it or this is what I'm in favor. It's all this, oh, yeah, we can't do that, but we can keep studying it. And again, for another example, he gets the question of women's ordination. He says, John Paul II settled this definitively. He said no. But But we can still continue to study if that decision's correct. So again, it's yes, but no is exactly what he says. Yeah, denying what you affirm and then affirming what you deny. That's the classic modernist trope. That's how they, that's how they roll to use the modern parlance. But the idea that you could say through discernment, such and such is permitted. That one word, discernment, which rears its ugly head in Amoris Laetitia for the first time in a papal document and is shamelessly abused, that one word, discernment, opens the gate to the destruction of the entire moral order. It's like a corrosive acid that eats away at the joints and ligaments of Catholic teaching because you can dispense with any aspect of the teaching if you discern that it should not apply in a particular case. When the authentic meaning of discernment is you are supposed to be discerning your immoral behavior and correcting it with the help of a spiritual advisor, not discerning how you can get away with it. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and again, the rest of these go on and on. I doubt, again, he, he, he wouldn't give a yes or no answer because that's how modernists are. They won't let themselves be pinned down, so they can always deny, and people are misinterpreting them, and you have to understand in this context, etc. But the people that want to do these things, they see the signal loud and clear. Hey, you in Germany that are already doing this, you're fine. Don't worry. No one's going to bother you. Keep doing it. And I think that's what's going to happen with women deacons. I think there's going to be some, not some mandate, every church get one, but a sort of clear message, hey, if you go and do this, no one's going to bother you. I think it's a done deal, and I'll tell you why I think so. A a very telling little indication. I happened to glance at some of the proceedings at the opening of the stupid synod, and they had a woman reading the epistle in something that looked like an alb. Yes. You know, she had a little green uniform on with some kind of insignia on it, which simulated clerical garb. Right. It wasn't in civilian clothes. So this is how they're introducing it. You're going to have these women in clerical garb pretending to be deacons. Exactly. And certainly that's going to happen in Germany. And will probably will happen in some American dioceses. We'll see. But uh, And then the chicken. next step is to try to get women's ordination. Yep. And there I think, of course, uh, the promises of Christ will prevent that ultimate disaster. But if the fake deacons will be explained away by the defenders of the indefensible in the conservative Catholic middle as 
Not really deacons. Yeah, what are you worried about? No one is really saying they're deacons. They just yeah. look like deacons and they walk like deacons and they talk like deacons. But they're not ordained as deacons. Uh, exactly. Well, while uh, they have this war of ambiguous words in Rome, the rest of the world marches on towards Armageddon, literally. Uh, the Valley of Jehoshaphat uh, is a, a scene of yep. uh, great violence this past week. So obviously we're talking about uh, this attack, which interestingly uh, Hamas, Islamic terrorist group, launched on October the 7th, the anniversary of the defeat of the Islamic Empire at Lepanto. Remember, Islam has a long view of history. These are not coincidences, these dates. Just like the September 11th incident occurred on the day that the Muslims were stopped both in Vienna and Malta. So, again, in a, I think we want to talk about this in a larger context. What's this mean? Uh, so what are your thoughts on this ever-escalating situation that now is, you know, seems to be barreling towards a further war? Well, what strikes me, first of all, is one of the many paradoxes that emerge in liberal <laughs> thinking. Yes. Well, the liberals just love Muslim immigration when it disrupts the way of life in former Christendom. Absolutely love it. But when Hamas, which is obviously a terrorist group, commits atrocities, it's time to go to war against Islam. Right. Islam Iran. Yes. At the same time, they're welcoming the Muslims, many of them subversive terrorists, into the heart of what was once Christendom in the Western nations, uh, which brings to mind another paradox. Open borders for Muslim immigrants, many of them terrorists. At the same time, they're trying to restrict travel by lawful residents. <laughs> There's a new visa scheme coming to the fore. So yeah. obviously we condemn what Hamas does. Obviously we condemn Islamic terrorism, which we're willing to call what it is. They are terrorists. They are fanatics. Yes. They are the enemy of the enemies of Christ. But what about the rest of the world? Why do we hear nothing about the genocides in Africa, for example? Yes. 43,000 in the Rohingya genocide. We have 500,000 in the Darfur genocide, murdered. 70,000 in North Kivu, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. These are all in the 2000s. The world is wracked by genocidal acts committed by genocidal dictators. John Ralph tells the story of an African dictator, I forget his name, who on Christmas Day gathered together all of his enemies in a stadium and had them all machine gunned to death. Oh, yeah. Idi Amin, Amin, wasn't it? Um, I'm not sure it was Idi Amin. To the tune of Those Were the Days. Oh, gosh. No one cares about the African Uh. genocides. But the whole world is going to be convulsed, and we're going to have yet another war over the obviously unjustified atrocities committed by Hamas. And, of course, we can't ignore the context in which those atrocities arise. We created Hamas. We funded yes. them yes. at the inception uh, of their existence as a counter to Islamic terrorism, and now they are the Islamic terrorists. Does that sound familiar? Because that's American foreign policy. Every terrorist group we loathe and fear now and use as a pretext to go to war as a group that in one way or another America supported through the CIA and other covert operations. Our American foreign policy has been nothing but a policy of mindless disruption of affairs in the Middle East. Yeah. I have to say, you have to agree with someone who spoke on behalf of Putin, one of his spokesmen, when he referred to the idiots who are running American foreign policy. 
Well, they are. I mean, they are. You're right. But I, again, they're uh, dangerous idiots because they're really literally playing with, with nuclear war in these cases uh, after they've enabled Iran to likely develop nuclear technology, then they want to go start a war with them. But do you think this is because the the Ukraine thing has started to play itself out, right? They can't get any more out of it. People are no longer buying the story. Ukraine is conquering Russia and is about to win at any moment, which just keep giving them a little bit more aid and we'll get there. That that's dying down, so they need to create another diversion, another war to draw attention. Well, like every other nation in which the idiots who run American foreign policy provoke interventions, Ukraine is destroyed right now. Yeah. Uh, the army is decimated. There are five or six or seven million refugees who are never coming back. Yeah. And we've reduced the place to rubble in, in many areas. And then we're going to cut and run because the money will run out. Public support will vanish. And that will be the end of that. There'll be an Afghanistan-like abandonment of the Ukrainians, we were prepared to fight to the last Ukrainian, but the Ukrainians aren't prepared to fight to the last Ukrainian. Many of them are defecting to Russia. Yes. Uh, you know, there's a special radio frequency they can use for mass surrenders now. And they turn themselves over to the Russians because they'll be treated decently as prisoners of war as opposed to being sent into a meat grinder yeah. in senseless attacks against an impregnable defense the Russians have set up during the summer. So this is another disaster provoked by are idiots who run our foreign policy, and now they want to start a war in Iran. That's the next war. Hmm. And we have that, that moron, Nikki Haley, calling for <laughs> yeah. calling for literally war with Iran. And more than war, she said, we will obliterate them. I mean, she wants you know, yeah, to obliterate it, Hamas, too. And, well, and, 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 yeah. And it's all follow the money. I mean, she is deeply connected to what Eisenhower called the military-industrial complex, defense contractors, arms manufacturers. So, of course, she wants to make war. You make a lot of money out of war. Lindsey Graham, too, he wants to bomb all the oil refineries. Oh, we won't send in troops, and we'll just bomb all their oil refineries, creating further chaos in the Middle East. That's what we do. That's how American foreign policy is conducted. It's an Operation Chaos one. One disaster after another. It's been an unbroken record of abject failure. Worse than failure, they've made the situation in the world perilously close to a situation in which nuclear war is conceivable, especially in Ukraine. So what can one say? The the state deteriorates in lockstep with the situation in the church. As always, the two things are tied together. No, and again, obviously agree with you, condemn these Tamas terrorists who we know are sneaking through, not sneaking, walking right through our southern border every day because they're, it's wide open. Certainly condemn, and what terrorism is, the attack of the innocent. They launched attacks on non-combatant civilians. But look, I think our response should be, this is Israel's problem. This is a security issue they have over their border. They need to defend themselves. They are more than capable of dealing with it. But no, we can't just leave it at that. We want to turn it into a larger, as you said, larger conflict to fight against the people in Iran that we just sent $6 billion to. And I don't know if you noticed this when that the spokesman for this pathetic excuse of a, a presidential administration was asked, like, don't you think it's a problem we just sent $6 billion to people we're going to war with? It's like, no, I don't really see a problem. And then he said, well, shouldn't we, like, freeze their bank accounts and stop them getting that money? Oh, no, no, no. Money spends, money spent. <laughs> yeah, well, it's lunacy. It's yeah. lunacy. And uh, again, yeah. it's, it's driven not by any kind of legitimate policy objective, but by the donor class, the lobbyists in the military yeah. industrial complex. And Lindsey Graham is now talking about bombing oil refineries. Oh, goody, another war. 
and the pilots on the aircraft carriers are just slathering at the prospect of being able to bomb stuff again, which is what they live for. And this is what we have, a foreign policy of endless wars. And by the way, which brings us back to Donald J. Trump, the one man who stands against this insanity, which is why he's been indicted four times in two months and has a uh, Democrat judge in Manhattan trying to take away his entire business. Exactly. Well, (laughs) you're right. I mean, for whatever you think of him, it was about the only four-year stretch in the last three-quarters of a century when the United States did not get involved in major military conflicts. I mean, it was relative. our world stage was relatively peaceful for four years, and that's one of the reasons they hated him. Yeah, you had to launch a few uh, cruise missiles at some empty airfields in right. Syria to make everybody happy, but that was the right. extent of it. Exactly. And by the way, now we hear from, uh, I think it's the Israeli defense minister, I'm not sure who it was, but they're preparing the uh, land operation in the Gaza yes. Strip. And he basically said, all the civilians in the Gaza Strip are guilty. Yes. His rationale for that is they did not rise up against Hamas. So if some mother with children or some father with a family doesn't rise up against Hamas, he's guilty for their terrorist attacks, yeah. which makes him fair game, it makes the whole family fair game. That's a pretty alarming statement. So yeah. it looks like there's going to be some ethnic cleansing if this ground invasion happens. Yeah. So the terror attacks of, of Hamas will be followed by attacks on innocent civilians who get in the way. Well, and essentially, this is modern 21st century warfare. I mean, this is what we did in Afghanistan, Iraq. It's basically total war. I mean, the, the United States started in World War II by firebombing German civilian targets. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's just what they've come to. We're a world constantly at war and rumor of wars where everybody's a combatant. So really what he's, he's saying is nothing more than the United States has done, you know, themselves. They just learn from us. Well, if the world had listened to Pope Benedict XV, World War I could have been ended. Yes. And if the world had listened to the teaching of the church in its explanation of just war theory, none of these wars conducted by the U.S. foreign policy establishment would have happened. So, again, it's the the old situation uh, that began with patient zero, Martin Luther in 1517, the disassociation of the body politic from the Catholic Church, and as a result... The world has hell to pay. Well, so there you have it. While Rome burns, both doctrinally and in the rest of the world, Pope Nero fiddles with the Synod. That's what's going on. (laughs) I love it. That's exactly what's going on. I'll be there, by the way, on October 29th. We're going to have a conference on the aftermath of the Synod on the 31st and the 30th and the 31st. I'll be there on behalf of the Fatima Center. Great. Well, hopefully I think it'll though, be li- I think it'll be live streamed so people can look in on that. Yes, watch for that, and you can uh, hear more words of wisdom from Chris. So, <laughs> great. Well, safe trip to Rome, and we'll we'll speak again when you get back. Take care. God bless. Church and State with Brian McCall and Christopher Ferrara is brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. The message of Fatima is the solution for our time. Only she can help us. It is therefore urgent that we live according to Our Lady's message and share it with everyone we know. For more resources and to support this vital apostolate with your donation, visit our website, Fatima.org, or call us 
at 1-800-263-8160. Our Lady of the Rosary, pray for us. Long live Christ the King.